standing up against the pressure to be embarrassed about the gospel. That's next on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love. It's commonly held that everyone hates embarrassment, and yet karaoke still exists. Go figure. Well, all kidding aside, it is true that nobody likes to be embarrassed, and consequently it affects our ability to speak up or speak out. And that's a problem for us as Christians who are called to boldly proclaim the gospel. Well, there's help available. And we'll hear about it today on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. As we continue in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we learn that Paul's protege, Timothy, needed some encouragement in this area. To tell us about it from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, here's Pastor Ed. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And Lord, grant mercy on the house of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Lord, grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well, how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to see, open the eyes of our heart to understand spiritually what you're saying to us here now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Embarrassment and being ashamed. It makes me think of an old story of a young cowboy riding along on the trail, and he's pretty cocksure of himself, pretty arrogant. And he rounds a corner, and there coming at him is an old miner with a decrepit old mule, and they're moving along the trail really slow, and the young cowboy decides to have a little fun with the old geezer. And so he pulls up and takes out his six-shooter, and he says, old man, you ever danced with that mule? And he starts shooting away at the ground, and the old miner's doing his two-step, you know. 
But finally, of course, the cowboy runs out of bullets. The old miner wipes his forehead and reaches over and pulls out an ancient shotgun. Click, click. He said, young man, you ever kissed a mule? He said, no, but I've always wanted to. <laughs> and he did. No embarrassment, no shame in him. Well, here in Paul's second letter to Timothy, not being embarrassed or not being ashamed of your relationship with God is really the key concept, the key idea here. Shamed is mentioned three times in this short section. The word appears in the Greek language only nine times in the New Testament, but three of them are right here in the section we're in. Shame was not originally part of the creation. It did come in when Adam and Eve took that fateful bite. Shame is a painful emotion that most of us try and avoid at all costs. But God has a cure, a simple cure, but a profound cure. His name is Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. Here it is in context, Hebrew 12.1. You probably know it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. So Jesus ignored the shame that his enemies tried to put on him by crucifying him, uh, the most cruel form of punishment, and embarrass him by the crucifixion. He was not impressed. God himself on a cross was not ashamed. In fact, took on your shame and my shame that day. Paul wrote of not being ashamed once before. When, if you were with us in the book of Romans, he said it this way, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul makes a big case for the grace of God, the gift of God, and righteousness connected that righteousness is a gift from God also. We'll see that again as we work through this section. So Paul was able to stand up and stand out and without being ashamed, speak clearly of his personal relationship with God. And that's a challenge for all of us, no matter what walk of life that you're in. There are always family members or friends or someone that knew you BC before Christ and they have the goods on you, right? Like my younger brothers, oh my goodness, trying to share Jesus with them for several years was a real test because they knew me as the big brother that tortured them regularly. I told them that's what little brothers are for, but that didn't help them any. They're supposed to torture each other. So we men need to stand up and say proudly that I am of him. Now, shame is in fact the opposite of being proud of something. 
If you're proud about someone or something, you don't have any trouble talking about it. In fact, if you realize from where you've come, it's even a lot easier to talk about the wonderful things that God has done for you. Well, throughout history, God has chosen broken people, ragamuffins, nobodies, because they are more likely to remember the sins that they have been forgiven of. And that makes them unusually dependent upon God, which makes it possible for him to display his power in a unique way, by grace. Now, that's not to say that God does not choose and use disciplined somebodies. He does. But not until they have learned to renounce their dependence on their own abilities, their own resources. Paul is writing this second letter now to this young man named Timothy. If you were with us, you know he's a pastor in the capital city of Asia, Ephesus. And it was his first pastorate. In the first letter, Paul encouraged him to stand the ground. It's probably six years later. It's uh, probably in the same year that Nero would die that Paul was beheaded on the Appian Way at three fountains outside of Rome. So this letter was written a short while before Paul's death. And he writes to Timothy to encourage him to not be embarrassed. Now, the Greek language is a, a lot more distinct than the English language, and there's a special verb tense here that, without boring you to death, it, it says that Paul is saying, you have not been ashamed, don't become ashamed. So don't think little of Timothy, he's been doing fine, but pressure is on him, persecution has happened. Nero is already sacrificing Christians to martyrdom in the circus, Circus Maximus, the Colosseum in Rome. So Paul senses that Timothy is in danger of becoming more and more compressed. Pressure is coming on him in this capital city, and persecution is coming to him and to the members of the church. So Paul writes to encourage him again. He wants Timothy to recognize there are some things in life that you cannot be ashamed about. In verse 8, he said, do not be ashamed. Timothy, I don't want you to be ashamed when the pressure comes. Verse 9 through 14, Paul says, I am not ashamed. And then in 15 through 18, he speaks of a man who was not ashamed who came and visited him on this forest. It's an interesting section of Scripture. God is speaking uh, to all of us about our testimony, what we say about our relationship with God. Let's jump in and see how God might speak to you and me again. Hey, thanks for joining us here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Now to take us into 2 Timothy chapter 1, picking up in verse 8, once again, here's Pastor Ed. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So this Greek word ashamed is a strong word. It means disfigurement and disgrace. Uh, Paul was facing death. Timothy's tempted to feel shame, but he was not ashamed. And so Paul is trying to bolster him. 
the gospel, this is the good news that Jesus died on our behalf. He said, you share with me in the sufferings. This is a concept that Paul has written about several times. How can we share in the sufferings of someone in the body of Christ who's going through a difficult time? Well, obviously, horizontally to people even in this church or that you know that are believers in other churches, but you're aware of the circumstances they're under, and you pray for them, and you tell them you're praying for them, and you come alongside and help them in any way you can. But Paul is expanding this for sharing in the sufferings of the church at large in the world of missionaries who are struggling in foreign lands who have given up their own home to work in far-off places, and of the impact of people that you and I don't even know that our prayer should have to strengthen them. I was reading this week about a, a Scottish missionary whose name is Dan Crawford, and when he died, they found a, a New Testament that was just falling apart from use, but the front page of it had a prayer in it that reminds us of the stress maybe of your own life. It will be an encouragement to you, it was to me. He wrote on this inside cover, I cannot do it alone, Lord. The waves dash fast and high. The fog comes chill around, and the lights go out in the sky. But I know that we too shall win in the end, Jesus and I. The coward and wayward and weak, I change with the changing sky. Today so strong, Brave, tomorrow, too weak to fly. But he never gives up. So we, too, shall win in the end, Jesus and I. Jesus said that we would go through persecution, John 15, 20. Servants are not greater than their masters, Jesus speaking. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So we're not surprised when it happens, but that doesn't necessarily make it any easier History is filled with people who have suffered martyrdom and persecution as believers. Eleven of the twelve apostles died a martyr's death. John, the only one that died of old age. During the first and second century, those who chose to follow Christ encountered unbelievable persecution. More than two million Christians are believed to have died in the first two centuries of Christianity. That kind of persecution continues to this day. In fact, Christianity Today not long ago had an article that says currently about 150,000 believers each year are being martyred, which is more than any time in history. About 2 million are being actively persecuted and tortured every day. Millions more are living in their religious freedoms severely restricted. For example, right now this morning, in Islamic countries, heresy laws make conversion to Christianity a criminal act punishable by flogging, dismemberment, and death. In the Sudan, Christian men and women are forcefully separated, husbands and wives, from their children, and they're sold into slavery, children for as cheaply as $9 per kid. Tens of thousands of Christians have been dumped into the Sudan desert where there's little food, water, and no medicine. We've seen in the papers repeated massacres of Christians, our brothers and sisters in the Sudan, even though probably none of us in this room know any by name. Paul said we should share in their suffering. A few years ago, 
in the southern region of Ethiopia. Officials raided the largest evangelical church in the south and arrested most of its members. Most of them died in prison. The pastor had his eyes gouged out so he couldn't read the Bible and preach any longer. So this concept of sharing in the suffering has a very practical approach for you and I. We have missionaries in the areas of the world I just mentioned who are two of them young couples from this church, and they need our prayers and support. Verse 9, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not our good deeds, but according to his own purpose, his grand design, and grace, a gift, charise, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Ooh, big verse here. Who saved us and called us, that God saved you. Most of us in this room understand that. We were saved from our own selfishness, our own intensity on ourselves, and he called us in, into a sphere that you're a part of now, the body of Christ throughout the earth. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This is a synopsis of the book of Romans, really. We've seen this concept over and over again. According to God's grand design, people are saved not by law, but by grace. This truth is uh, all over the New Testament, we said as we went through the book of Romans. In Romans 3.20, salvation comes by grace, for no human being will be justified in his sight, just as if he had never sinned. None are justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. Romans 3.23 they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous shall live by faith. Whew. Strong stuff, Ephesians 2.8, is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Philippians 3.8, yet indeed I also count all these things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. This is Paul writing, not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Grace is the basis of God's salvation, his sustaining, setting aside sanctification of us, and ultimately eternity. Now, we've talked a lot about that concept because Paul writes about it over and over again as we just read. He's talking about the new covenant, and I emphasize this a lot here because I do not hear it emphasized in the church, church of Jesus Christ in the world. The new covenant is the covenant that Jesus started the night he took his cup and he said, this is my blood of a new covenant. He had already taught that you can't put new wine in old wineskins. You can't sew new cloth on old cloth. It'll pull away. He was describing what would happen when he died on the cross and the covenant was instituted when he rose again, of which you and I are now part of. He predicted it. 
in Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31, and that this new covenant would involve heart surgery. Your heart, my heart, of stone, take it out, he said. I'll take out your heart of stone, and I, God speaking, will put in a heart of flesh. And I will write my law of love on your heart, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. That's five I wills, what God is going to do, not what we're going to do. We're going to surrender. We are volunteers. We started by reading Psalm 110. We volunteer for the army of God. We surrender to it. We allow God to have control of our lives. We are now part of this new covenant given to us as Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, before time begin. Before time begin is pro chronos and ion. And ion is eternal with no end, infinity. And chronos is, of course, time. And pro is before. So literally this says before eternal times, before the beginning of time. From all eternity past, before God stepped into time, before God created that sphere, the fourth dimension, I do not understand this. I can say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But I cannot explain to you how God did that or exactly how it impacts our lives. But before the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain for you and for me. I believe that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing this to give Timothy and me and you the encouragement, the assurance that God will finish what he has begun. It's meant to strengthen us. I was smiling when I listened to the prayer because I was reading this week about a, a little church outside of Boise, Idaho, that went through a centennial recently, and 100 years, and they had a part of it was a reenactment of the log cabin they'd built in, etc. but it was describing a, a man who knew the second pastor and was still alive, 100 years old, and so he wanted to play the old pastor that was there because that pastor had led him to salvation in Christ. And so he said that he was a logger. He told of the efforts of this pastor to reach him. He was a hard-drinking, hard-living man with no interest in the gospel. In fact, he admitted that he was a man who once said he had never met a preacher that he liked. I know a couple people like that. But the pastor told him he was praying for him one day and complaining to God that he would never be able to bring this logger to Christ. And that even if he did, he wouldn't know what to do with him after he became a member of the church and got saved. So God spoke to him, he said, into his heart in an unusual way that even he could understand. God said, quote, don't worry about a thing. I'll use you to catch him and I'll clean him. And that's exactly what happened. What a great illustration there from Pastor Ed Ray that ought to encourage us with the hard cases. God has uniquely put us in our sphere of influence. We don't have to fear or be ashamed of the gospel. More about that next time right here on Grow in Grace. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. 
or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. And it's a real blessing when we hear back from our listening audience. Whether it's a word of affirmation or a comment related to the study, a question or a prayer request, we want to hear from you. Drop us an email today. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in First and Second Timothy with Pastor Ed Ray. May God richly bless you. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your